Hey gang, welcome to episode 27 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, uh, founder of uh, the No Persinium newsletter and this entire small kingdom that we have created together. Together we have created the kingdom. I just rule it with an iron fist. Um, hey, uh, that's that's my sad attempt at uh, self-depreciating humor on one cup of coffee. We've got a great show today. We've got the core members of the Speakeasy Society. They're here to do a retrospective on The Hollow, which was their Halloween show here in Los Angeles. That means we're going to hear from Genevieve Gearhart and Julianne Just, who have been on the show before. Our, our first episode, our first official episode, actually. Joining along uh, this time is going to be Matthew Bamberg-Johnson, uh, another one of the core members of the Speakeasy Society, and the guy who did the music and uh, a lot of the writing on The Hollow, Chris Porter, is also in. That's the roundtable you're about to hear. So yes, it's going to be a roundtable episode, and uh, we, we go deep. Uh, there there are spoilers. Uh, they're probably going to do The Hollow again at some point, so if you you know want to remain completely unaware... Uh, don't listen to this episode. Uh, I hate saying that because uh, I really like this episode and I think we tackle a lot. So maybe, uh, you know, uh, steal yourself and deal with the fact that there's going to be some spoilers in here because we got to talk about the material. And that's just the way it is because this is a fantastic, fantastic episode. But before we get to that, we've got some news and notes. Let's start with the notes this time because I want to change things up and also I'm not looking at the news at this very second. Um, While I do that, hey, this is two big reminders. One, we need your eyes and ears. Uh, Myself and Zay and whether it's in LA or New York and particularly when it comes to San Francisco uh, if you see something, say something. Um, there's so much that happens under the radar. We know that there are some things that want to stay under the radar. That's cool. Maybe just tell us personally about it. Um, and we'll respect the under the radar part. The other thing, though, is uh, there's plenty of stuff that doesn't want to be under the radar that deserves an audience that is trying to do a longer run. And um, th- that is literally the entire reason why this exists. We want immersive, interactive, site-specific, open-frame, performance installations, weird, cool shit that breaks the boundaries of your normal audience-performer relationship. We want that work to be sustainable. We want that work to get a bigger and bigger audience. We want the people who make that work to have careers that are centered on doing that work, both in real life and in the virtual arts as they continue to open up. And and that's our mission, damn it. So help us, because we are not omniscient. We are we are guys with day jobs who love this enough to to go out there and, and make that newsletter and make this podcast for you. So your job is to, uh, when you see a show and you know it's not in the newsletter or you think it's not in the newsletter, uh, send it in. I don't even mind when people, like five people told me about Hopscotch uh, when Hopscotch was like in the newsletter for three months. I mean, maybe I found it ironic, but I don't actually mind it. Um, That's in LA. Hey, uh, 
shows, news, hopscotch, extended through the 22nd. Uh, you can also maybe experience some of it without actually uh, uh, paying by going to their hub. Uh, and there's also like a walking tour that someone's doing that's going to like intersect with it in some ways. All that detail is in the latest issue of the LA newsletter. Uh, also extended return to forever house, which is machine projects. Um, I was going to say thing. And the way we have it listed in the newsletter is installation performance, which I spelled wrong. <laughs> oh my God. I'm looking at it right now. I spelled it wrong. Performance. Um, I'll own that. Mildly dyslexic. Happens sometimes. Uh, weird and not scary. What what I've been told that they don't know how to talk about is that it's actually a puzzle room. It is a puzzle room. Um, uh, he says right in there, while attempting to solve a way out of the off-kilter fantasy space. Um, that's, that's in their own description. And I, for some reason, did not interpret that as an escape room, as like an avant-garde escape room or something like that. It is. I'm even more exciting. Does someone want to go with me? I want to go soon. Write me. Let's find a time. I'm not joking. If you're listening, if you're within the sound of my voice and you're in Los Angeles the weekend after this one, let us go return to Forever House together. Also happening uh, in LA, uh, Play Arts has got uh, Erotica. Going to be checking that out next weekend as well. Looks to be interesting. Play Arts does some, some really cool work. Uh, their their last uh, experience a retrograde uh, their show there was some wonderful cinematic moments in it when uh, when the proscenium uh, dissolved and uh, we got uh, inside the work um, there are there's so much going on there's a, a fairy hunt adventure happening in Tarzana that's a kid show that's coming up let's go to San Francisco Hinge is closing up this weekend uh, also happening up in the Bay Area is the hypocrites pirates of Penzance. Uh, I'm going to be up in the Bay Area. I'm definitely seeing Hinge. I'm going to see what I can do about checking out uh, Pirates of Penzance. Uh, let's go to New York. The absolute latest issue, which uh, Zay put out, uh, In the Shadow of a Spectacle is the View of the Crowd, uh, is happening uh, on Liberty Street, adjacent to One World Trade Center. That's this weekend, starting on Friday. Um, stage in the top floors of 225 Liberty Building adjacent to the One World Trade Center. Um, Performa 15 and the Performa Festival. Uh, and the Grand Paradise is starting previews on December 10th. You can find all that, plus Untamable, plus Houseworld, all sorts of other stuff uh, right there in the latest New York edition of No Proscenium. Um, hey, one more thing in the opening section, which I usually save for the last, uh, I want to give a quick shout out to our latest Patreon backer, uh, which I'm going to have in system in a second here. I am looking this up on the computer because that is how I do things. Um, but I also, um, cause I'm talking about Patreon, I want to make the, the short appeal to you. Um, I need to sketch out a full plan of what exactly we could do beyond the podcast with the the dollar a month. I'm hoping people are willing to jump in and and start uh, giving, uh, you know, even if they're just like a, a newsletter folk. Um, the main thing, of course, is like we want to get Zay a better microphone. He's going to hopefully be interviewing the folks from Third Rail Projects. I would I would love once we're you know doing that to have this microphone or a version of it there with him for that. So it could sound much more like this and less like a laptop. Um, but you already know about me always begging about that nonsense. Um, 
you you will also find um, there's we get press comps to shows sometimes. We also don't get press comps to shows sometimes. Even more to the point, uh, we definitely don't do a lot of out of town stuff because um, we just we don't we don't. Whether that's Zay going out of New York or, or me going out of L.A. Um, and I'm not saying like, hey, let's finance trips for us all the time, but there might be some stuff that that would make sense for us to go in one of two forms. One on kind of a reporting jag somewhere when there's like a festival happening or several pieces uh, so we could cover it more in depth. So we could do a bunch of podcast episodes so we could write some stuff up or so we could find a writer who is versed in this material in that area, which honestly for like Chicago, Portland, Seattle, Philadelphia, I would much rather prefer to find a local who we can then um, compensate for doing work. That is the long-term vision that I want us to start moving towards. This is an experimental space. This is a, a strange little world. And if there's one thing I know right now, it's that arts reporting and arts criticism is under assault uh, from the forces of indifference, period. Uh, LA Weekly has pulled their arts editor, great ally, Zach Pincus Roth. Uh, he's now uh, going to the Washington Post to be the pop culture editor. This is what we're up against. It is absurd on a certain level that we as a community have to bankroll um, the reporting, bankroll all of this stuff. Um, but, you know, just just digging through stuff on Yelp doesn't quite cut it. Um, and yeah, and there's there's a there's a longer, more sane version of this uh, that uh, that is out there. Uh, and I will at some point definitely craft for you. Uh, but I just wanted to riff on it for a second. Dean Corin is our latest backer. Uh, thank you so much, Dean, for, for jumping in. Uh, thank you to everybody for jumping in and, uh, and backing. Like I say, even a dollar a month makes a big difference. Our next milestone is $50 per month for the podcast upgrade better gear. We're at $48 a month right now. That's $2. And I don't want anyone to up their pledge right now. I want, I want two people. $1 a month. I want us to get there on the strength of numbers because it's the strength of numbers that makes a difference here. Uh, because it's not just about making this show better. It's not just about, you know, everything I just said. The ultimate objective is, like I said at the beginning, get this work a sustainable audience. This is an instrument towards that end. All right. For one cup of coffee, I'm pretty strident today. Uh, we're going to check out the Speakeasy Society. They're going to answer some hard questions, too. What? And um, we're going to have a grand old time in three, two, one. So because we're here around the table, uh, and this is another one where you've got multiple guests on the show. And yes, guys, I just started us. So uh, this is now. We are, we are now actually recording even though we've been recording for like four minutes. Um, let's just go around. Uh, I'll start on my left, and we'll have everyone tag in. Hi, I'm Genevieve. I'm Matthew. I'm Chris. And I'm Julianne. 
Fantastic. And uh, as everyone already knows, we're talking Speakeasy Society, and we're talking uh, the show that was just wrapped up, uh, The Hollow. So, um, overview. Uh, just whoever wants to take this one, uh, and, and four-person ones, it's always hard. So let's make this like a dinner party conversation, but sans food, although there is Halloween candy. Um, who wants to take the crack at describing what The Hollow, what the hollow was? What it is, everyone's. Well, I I feel like the hollow is kind of our response to a dinner theater experience, and trying to take that uh, beyond a traditional audience performer relationship and and get people up and moving and participating um, at points of the evening, and we were aware of Los Angeles's attraction to Halloween and we like creepy things ourselves so um, decided that we, we wanted to try to take dinner theater into this creepy realm um, and had spoken just in passing about the possibility of doing something related to Sleepy Hollow and then that served as a springboard to investigate Washington Irving stories in general so and I think it's worth, it was also our attempt of kind of tackling the Halloween show. And uh, we were interested in creating something that kind of provided a different sort of uh, seasonal experience. So it wasn't, um, we weren't looking to do what necessarily the Haunted House Circuit was doing. It wasn't about um, graphic horror or terror. It was about creating, you know, telling a story over the course of the evening. and. Of course, engaging with the the favorite elements of the season, you know, but um, but again, it was hopefully filling kind of a void in the the seasonal entertainment that currently exists as well. And how quickly did this come together? Like, like this this was not something that that's necessarily been like gestating for a long period of time because I know you guys this year were focusing on the Johnny cycle and, and gestating that. And then when this actually popped up, I was like, whoa, this is a, a detour. This was a, a very quick turnaround for us. Um, a lot of our shows are kind of uh, triggered by space and space availability. And so uh, our relationship with Golden Road was existing from our previous show, uh, Ebenezer. And uh, due to just various circumstances, obviously they've had a lot of exciting growth as a company. Um, we kind of had some challenges in nailing down days to do Ebenezer this year, but they were very open and willing to us doing a show in October. And we had been, as a company, kind of playing with the idea that we'd want to someday do a Halloween, that's in quotes, uh, <laughs> a Halloween show. Um, so in late August, we kind of got the go-ahead from uh, Golden Road that uh, Halloween show was a yes and that Ebenezer was kind of going to go on hiatus for the time being and um, so essentially September hit and we were faced with creating a show from scratch and you know The Hollow was a completely original script even though it was inspired by the short stories of Washington Irving we definitely um, took them our own way we repurposed a lot of the characters we really wanted to create this interwoven narrative where all these different stories and characters could live in the same world and in one larger story so essentially in about three weeks we wrote an entire piece with you know full essentially a full-length play for eight different characters <laughs> and uh, in three weeks we rehearsed it and put it up so it was basically six weeks beginning to end it was 134 pages FYI. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So 
Longer than your normal feature film script. <laughs> but remember, there were like several scenes happening simultaneously. Right. So it, it didn't quite I'm just work talking, out to the... Right. Yeah. I'm just talking about in terms of like how much material yes. was, was yeah. out there. Yeah. So a, a lot of material was generated very quickly. And then, um, you know, luckily for us, we work... Uh, we work with really strong performers who are very game. Half our cast had worked with us before, um, so luckily they were very flexible and kind of running with what we were, what we were getting them. We definitely started rehearsing before we had the completed script, so it was an it was a ever evolving process. Yes. <laughs> and that, and that I'd, I'd say just about the cast. That's something that proves really valuable when when you can use a shorthand and you you don't have to explain to someone what a one on one interaction entails you know we say okay so this is your one-off content and they immediately are able to click into that and know how to scale that level of performance Mm -hmm. to uh participate with either an individual or a a small group and we also were able to write for specific people which i think is really helpful Mm -hmm. i I would actually say this is one of the few shows where i'd say about 75 percent of casting we knew as we were writing the bulk of it. So I think usually we don't know as much casting. So it was very tailored. Partly because you just had the sense of like, okay, this has got to go up then. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah. here we go. The, the yeah. turnaround yeah. was so fast, we had to nail down kind of the cast at the same time we were writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cast was less than half the size of Johnny as well. Yeah. 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 We, we ended up <laughs> with... We ended up with 11 performers at, at the end, 11 speaking performers in the piece, uh, and we had over over 20 for Johnny, so that was a, it was a major scaling back for us, and still a cast of 11 feels very with, large with for three, many people. three live musicians, so yeah, that's right. truthfully, it's right. a group of 14. Well, and, and, you know, given most shows, I mean, that's, you know, August Osage County numbers, right, for like a, a normal... Play or it's a Shakespearean play, you know, with with just a little bit of doubling going on. Um, let's let's talk story for a bit um, and and developing that out. So what what pieces did you guys pull in? Because I mean I mean we all know we all know Sleepy Hollow. Uh, everyone's like, it's, it's Chris's turn. So. <laughs> right. I. So we read Sleepy Hollow initially, and uh, in, in the story, for anyone who's not read it, about the first half is just description of the hollow itself. And then the last half is describing the party that Ichabod goes to, and then Ichabod leaving the party, and then like the last four pages is the whole Headless Horseman incident. Which is what everyone actually Which is what everyone actually from the Disney remembers. cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the conceits early on when we were talking about doing this is the fact that the whole dinner party happens in the middle of the story, and there's the whole storytelling thing that happens and characters get up and tell stories about the headless horseman and then you meet the headless horseman so we thought it would be interesting to somehow inceptionize the whole conceit of it right <laughs> where it's like what happens in the stories is what actually ends, ends up happening uh, so at some point i had pitched that it was five years after uh, that particular story happens and so we pick it up with uh bram and katrina the two other members of the love triangle hosting their own party and uh, so what we're attending is their party five years after the incident and what's still boiling from that particular thing. Uh, and from there, Julianne then read uh, The Pride of the Village, which uh, is a much calmer Washington Irving story about a very beautiful girl who ends up very tragically dying for lost love and her honor and the village just mourning her death forever. 
I and somehow that ended up getting incorporated with then the spectral bridegroom, the legend of Communipa. The Devil and Tom Walker. The Devil and Tom Walker. And Rip Van Winkle. And Rip Van Winkle. Which I was really attached to as a story and felt like we needed to bring in. Oh, yeah. And so from all that, there came several different characters. Rip Van Winkle, one, I I couldn't even remember the fact that it was a Washington Irving story, right? It feels like like a fable Mm -hmm. that's always been part of America. It's so part of America. Yeah. Yeah. And, And if it wasn't for the fact that that we're almost like formally taught the legend of Sleepy Hollow, like you might be able to forget that Washington Irving wrote that as well. Oh yeah, um, and and it, these are quintessential American fables. But but these other ones, like was what was the the draw that? And what was what was the one before you said the uh, Devil and Tom Walker? The legend of the legend of Communipa. The legend of Communipa. What the. <laughs> Flying hell is the land of community. So what's, what's kind of fun yeah. about it is so um, there's this this presence of Dietrich Knickerbocker in in his stories, and it was kind of a, a fake pen name that Irving used to kind of help sell his own writing. It was his own form of a viral marketing. Yeah, he would go to a town and post an ad before his articles were published saying. Uh, Diedrich Knickerbocker hasn't paid his bills, and if you don't pay your bills, I'm going to publish the story you left behind. And so everyone would tune back the next week to find the story that was published. Oh, wow. so, so a lot of these short stories are kind of under that pen name. And, and once, you know, you start down the rabbit hole, you, you're kind of like, oh, well, what other There's, stories? You know, you go into your Google, like, short stories, Irving, yeah. ghosts, question mark? Yeah. <laughs> and, and see what kind of comes down. And, you know, it's... The, the area is so mysterious, right? Like the geography right. of, you the know, the Catskill Mountains. Yeah. It's, it's clear that so much of it is just kind of the, the lore and the feeling of this world that yeah. kind of yeah. creates the space for this supernatural um, presence in his work, right? Whether it's real or just superstition. Right. The story of Legend of Communion Pie is the one that Tom Walker tells, that we had Tom Walker tell. Mm. So that's actually the literal appearance of the story yeah. in the story but the that was what we focused on in particular was the mood and the the vibe yeah. and a lot of the other stories then became uh sort of dissolved into the the b lines or sub stories for the various characters um so the devil and tom walker uh became absorbed into the tom walker character track and then also into his wife's track in terms of the deals that they make with this with this devil figure and then and kind of how those deals then have been made with lots of people in the town um you know we took the rip van winkle story and we kind of then had our own version of how he wound up in the mountains and kind of under the spell so to speak and then the ultimate uh lesson you know when he was discovered which i thought was one of the more heartbreaking parts of it totally yeah (laughs) i was so sad for him yeah i yeah but definitely i'd say at a certain point these were jumping off points and then we felt very free to utilize these characters and create our own narratives and relationships between them so it definitely was there, there was a, we, well, we wanted to particularly like the horsemen. It's such an iconic thing. We wanted to, you know, we we kept the main players from that story. Again, we felt no. 
But we almost didn't do it at all, right? Because I was stubborn and I yeah. dug my feet in the ground and I said, you can't do the story of the Headless Horseman without an actual horse. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, which, we had which, many discussions. Well, I, I, I just have these vivid memories of a hayride when I was a little kid and like you're being pulled along in the tractor and then someone riding by and the actual horse and how cool that was. And mm-hmm. thinking you know, we in the sort of dreamscape of what spaces could we use and where could we go, we talked about, well, maybe we could, do this at the LA Equestrian Club, or we could do it elsewhere. And, Which is you know, really expensive. For super, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> great. But it's but just really in. Sorry, a bit of a tangent, but yeah. but but I the 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 just to give an example of how we could mess with the story but still pay respects to Irving is in the story of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, at the party when Ichabod approaches Katrina, he literally writes just like I don't know what was said between them, but Ichabod left very disheartened. Uh, which I, struck me as weird because then, with all due respect to Irving, he then goes and tells you exactly what happens to him alone when he's being chased by the Headless Horseman. But whatever it was, that still give us the freedom to say, like, what did Ichabod have to say to Katrina? For some reason, I'm reminded of all of the romantic comedies where they just skip over the dates. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just like all... And then they went on a bunch of dates. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, totally. oh, you've never done that, right? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. But it gave us the freedom to say, like, well, we know this interaction happened, so we made it our own thing. Well, and one of the things I think creatively started to inform us, too, is, and it has to do with the kind of immersive nature of it, is proximity, right? Right. So, like, this came up a lot with the horseman, you know, is the horseman human? Or is is he this supernatural spirit? And, And part of it was, well, the long and the short is, given the context of our experience, if we have it enter the space, it's going to be about 10 feet from our audience. So in some levels, the space for, you know, the form is such that it's like you can't do a lot of tricks, right? It's A lot of it is about um, these sort of very genuine, personal yeah. interactions. interactions. What magic you have is the close-up magic and not the big illusions. Absolutely. Right. So, so that definitely was something that in, in crafting the story started to, to very much inform our opinions. There would be things that... We would throw around ideas that were very much about larger supernatural or magical moments. But when we started to confront the realities of, of what actually that moment would be for an audience member and a performer, and given the fact that we're in a existing space that we move into literally the night before the first show, um, it is very much about audience-performer relationship. It's, there, there isn't actually a lot of space for... Um, the tricks. So and I think speak. it became a really like a jumping off hinging point for our story and this is something that Chris brought up at one point that the lengths that the humans take and the kind of despicable things that they will do to each other are actually so much more horrible and so much more terrifying than possibly what some supernatural being could do. And so much more interesting that these are actually interpersonal human relationships rather than we can explain it away as being some mythical Just great beast. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, it makes it a much more complicated yeah. For every story. one of the weird magical elements that we put in the story we made sure there was something real going on with the characters uh so whether it was like broken down father-son relationships or it was broken down friend relationships stuff like that where uh, uh the two sisters the aunts 
yeah. having to come to terms with stuff like that. Well, and I guess, uh, you know, our, our Knickerbocker, who, who had a lot of kind of one-offs with people where essentially, you know, the offers made, like, what would you trade your soul for? You know, the actor commented on that afterwards, like, very little. People would trade their soul, <laughs> yeah. their so-called yep. soul, for, for very little, oh actually. And, um and I mean, that, that's always one of the joys of working on these pieces is kind of the discoveries that the actors make along yeah. the way. You, they, they always walk away with these gems of like, I've learned this about humans post-performing in this show. That one's fascinating to me because like I was talking with a friend once we were, we were sketching something out and we, we had the notion that we wanted people to pay not just, they'd buy their ticket, but then they would show up to claim their ticket, like they'd have to come to a place to a box office and that's where they would be told to go. The box office was gonna be like, well, I won't say what exactly because I don't want anyone to steal that idea. <laughs> Since I'm about to give this one away. But we'd, we'd, we'd say, there's one more thing, we need a secret. And we wanted people to like pay us a secret. And if the person that, you know with the ledger didn't like it, then that's just not good enough. Just to see what you could get people to, if we could get people to put skin in the game. Yeah. So it kind of makes me very happy to know that people are willing to trade their actual soul for... For another beer. <laughs> well, it's just... It's, <laughs> I mean, this isn't my real soul. Like, I don't believe in it. It's just, it's just a play. It's mm -hmm. like, don't they know anything about acting? <laughs> um, that's true. <laughs> one thing you mentioned earlier that you know, just to circle back to is this idea of timeline and time jumping, right? Mm. And uh, mentioning in the rom com, you know, and they went on some dates and then things yeah. happened. And I think one of the ways that we tried to dive into that in this piece, uh, which did a lot of time jumping from uh, flashbacks to uh, you know re retellings of moments that you got in certain breakoff sessions, is that we, is that we tried to put more of a deliberate eye towards. Uh, dance as a method of storytelling and, mm. and uh, as exhibiting the passage of time or or uh... <laughs> well they did not like what you were saying but but yes so so using dance as a as a means for um, delineating the passage of time or or for for creating uh, moments that are recreations of things that you've seen in the past um, and that occurred in some of the breakoff sections upstairs particularly so let's let's talk about there's there's so much to, to dig into and let's just go for all of it um, let's talk about how how much breakoff material there was so I mean how many tracks were were available because I know that some people saw stuff that I didn't see and vice versa. So the complicated were, answer, actually. There were essentially five breakoff tracks, but within those five breakoff tracks, there were also variations. So, example, there was one track that we referred to as the Pride track, and that kind of focused more on the village pride in that space. But uh, the initial audience who experienced that, uh, one half of them went with Bram, looking for the pride and half went with the aunt. And so uh, depending which group you were, that would change the way you walked into this the next part of that a experience. third of your break-off section was different from okay. the other the other half of the groups. So. Oh, that's interesting. So like, yeah, you're, you're getting, you're getting prologue A or prologue B and then you come together for... Sections B and C. Exactly. Basically. And then A and C. So, sounds like sounds like Star Tours. Um. <laughs> and and that, well, was, yeah. that, that was something that... Um, and again, I guess it's, you know... It was in some ways a, 
a work in progress for us. The reality is anytime you make a new show, and um, particularly with an original script, you, you learn things when you run it with a real audience. Um, so after the first night, we did shift the track section a bit, and we did wind up um, doubling it. So whereas in the initial concept was everyone went on one track, in the progression we did wind up so you got two tracks oh, actually when you went to see it that's um, that's a that's that's a huge difference yeah a huge i mean it also extends the show yeah. by like what 20 15 15, 15 to we, 20 minutes we did some minor surgery on the show between yeah. nights one and two. two so after getting the audience <clears throat> in space and understanding the timing of how things actually worked with food being served and the amount of time that people actually needed to consume various courses which were all variables that we couldn't really accurately predict before we had bodies in the space we cut and food service and right. food preparation yeah. and i mean so so we cut a large story about a seven minute story um that occurred after my pirate story mm -hmm. in the in the main course section which was very well told and the actress was doing a great job with it but just we needed to eliminate that time in order to provide more time for an additional break-off track later in the piece and trimmed some other moments to, to tighten things up on the front end so that we could get people up and moving Well, and, and part of it is, you know, you, you try yeah. to make an, an, um, a strong, you know, you, you try to create an idea of how long it's going to take people to eat an entree. And right. um, our notion of how long it might take people to eat turned out to be we had overestimated it. So, mm. so that w it did in some ways allow for this shift where um, to put in the extra break-off content. Another driving force with that is we just realized that um, in some ways people benefited from having a little more information. So like each of the five tracks in some ways kind of highlighted a different character or two characters. Yeah. And that getting two of those five in a ways gave people more skin in the game, so to speak, coming back than they had just with one. Yeah. We so. made sure that still you never got the complete story. So like part of it is yeah. you're like the characters, you don't know the full depth of everything. Yeah. Like you're coming at it from a part, but having two made you feel like you knew a lot more. Yeah. And definitely at least the two that I got which were um sort of Knickerbocker and Rip Jr. and then the the, the Tom and Knickerbocker story, because they're both Knickerbocker focused, like I feel felt like, oh okay, uh, I, I understand this undercurrent that's happening throughout the town. This isn't just a one-off, and like things were, were repeating. And and indeed, what the 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 casks were identified as like the trees where people had their names like on them, like that being referenced in both stories. Like it it started to make sense. Like oh, this is that's what that's about. This is someone's mm -hmm. soul. Like he's gonna harvest it. Oh, okay, that's what those are there for. Um, so yeah, the, the doubling definitely helped explain the world, and in, in a weird sense, it's it's the kind of problem that you know Marvel faces building their cinematic universe, right? Like you you want each movie to feel complete in of itself, but at the same time, you want to build into this larger franchise, and the films that don't get that mix right feel so so off, and they often they often actually err on the side of the franchise setup, right? Like, Age of Ultron fell flat this year, 
didn't knock the table <laughs> because it felt like it was an extended ad for the next movie and it was like but this was the one that was supposed to not be an extended ad like mm-hmm. this is the main feature everything else would lead to this meanwhile Ant-Man feels fine because it's complete of itself and like oh it's got a cameo from somebody like oh yeah this happens in this world I can see how this fits in but I'm getting a whole story and not just being like sure. come back in three years and watch our next two part film and, and that was I mean that was part of the struggle I think that we had in this piece, I shouldn't say struggle, but but the 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 line we were trying to balance, where where we knew that we were riding the line between what was essentially a proscenium dinner theater show um, uh, occurring in a fixed space, and then this immersive break off Roman content, and wanting to make sure that we struck the correct balance in terms of watching and moving, and also in terms of you getting enough of the story that you had a framework that you could cling to and then part part of our brand i think part of our hallmark is this frustration of choice this frustration of the idea that you don't have the complete picture and that you know you you discover that through your conversations with people after having viewed a piece and you have enough that you have a full and enjoyable experience but there's always that nagging sense like in life that you can't see it from every angle even in Johnny, there were distinct scenes where you only got half of what was going on um, that was just built into it, where you got guided over here, you were guided over there, and you get one half of a phone conversation and stuff like that. But I guess, again, in a way that we try to do it deliberately, that you you wonder what you would have missed, but we try to have whatever those... If you're missing something, we do try to have it that the content is serving a similar purpose whether it's mm. moving the story forward yeah. so it's um, still get an arc, like yeah that. so it's kind of like let's say you <clears throat> didn't get to meet rip jr we'd hopefully have set you up to meet his mother so on some level you've met those characters and been introduced to their stories but maybe just from a different perspective and also uh, with some of the roaming content that was happening earlier in the evening we did hope to make it so like oh great you're not going to be with rip jr's track track well he's going to spend some time at your table beforehand and tell you a little bit about what's going on in his life so you're getting a glimpse into his storyline you might not get the full thing but hopefully you're at least being kind of touched by every character in the story at some point how much did it help you guys um to be using a space that you knew pretty well because this is your third time right inside chloe's um, I mean, it's it's a great space and it's a challenging space. So I think on some level, at least we came in with our uh, with a game plan and and our, our our ducks is in a row as they can be. You know, there are some things that we just can't change about the space. It, it is what it is, and, and we try to work around them those elements as best we can. Um, I'd say though, I mean, obviously we had we we knew which room we were gonna put which of the breakoffs in going into writing those. So mm-hmm. again, we in the way that we were able to write for specific characters, we were able to write for specific spaces. We did keep um, calling them by the names that we used in Ebenezer, though. Yeah, so yeah. It makes sense. We we're like, this is the schoolyard. It's like there's no school in this story. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's sort of my. The, the flip side of it is like, is it weird to be back in the same space? Because I know for me, even as just an audience member, like I would have those moments that, oh, this is where this happened. You know, like there's there's a pompous set. I mean, we on. did want to change, hopefully, your relationship to those spaces. Again, given the fact that, you know, for example, the pool room, that pool table's going 
nowhere. Yeah. But hopefully for the group that was in that scene, it doesn't feel like a cheery bar pool table anymore, which we kind of let it maintain that look in Ebenezer. Hopefully it it feels like a different space now. For me, I think it was super important that I knew what the space was, especially for the breakout sections and the choreography that happened upstairs. That was really important to me, and I just had so many ideas going into kind of working on the show with things that I wanted to do with certain story parts with dance and you know we don't get to spend a lot of time in that space so having that knowledge of maybe possible things that could happen in in those areas was was really helpful and I I mean it's a challenging space but it just it, it has so much to offer and it's so we've I think as through many of our shows we found a lot of great ways to use it but also to change it and adjust it and kind of use it for its best qualities and still make it transformative. Because we made adjustments between the first and second installments of Ebenezer in terms of how the space was used and uh, how we wanted to route audience throughout it. But, But definitely knowing a little bit about what it took to get from point A to point B um, was helpful for the one-off content, um, particularly, mm-hmm. at, and particularly when we doubled it, where we said, okay, so this is the pathway by which Bram can take his group and they never need to come back into the room. He can actually take them outside of the building and up the stairs and dump them into this space. And, and that's all achievable because we know the architecture of the space. So, so in that sense, it's great. On the other hand, you know, we want to make sure that we don't rest on that, right? Yeah. You know, like, so, oh, so we're, we're always eager to have new spaces. And I think that was an anxiety for us about this piece is saying, oh, we don't want people to say, oh, it's in Chloe's again. You know, I already know what this is going to be. Yeah, and I think you know the the reason though I do think it works is is I I think Chloe's suits the world of this story in the yes, same way yeah. that I felt Chloe's suits the world of Ebenezer. Whereas we would never do Johnny and Chloe's, right? So so I I don't think that the space was in. I, I don't think we were forcing the piece into the the world of that space. I, yeah. I think that it kind of was able to live. Yeah, well, and, and Chloe's is such a dynamic space you know like it's as someone who has like the old LARP jeans I'd be like that'd be the most awesome place to hold a LARP in because there are distinct rooms that you cannot you don't have no idea what's going on in the other rooms while you're in there and and by distinct I mean like really distinct like entirely different spaces to the point where it it's completely insane that it's in there right and even just the act of of walking in for someone who doesn't know the transition from and there is a little vestibule. Yeah. The transition from Golden Road, big industrial, you know, not even tavern space. It's just yeah. like a we done. It's a warehouse. Some, yeah, it's a yeah. warehouse. We put yeah. a warehouse, we threw a bar, put some benches down. You know, it's loud as all hell. You walk through that vestibule, and all of a sudden, you've jumped back into the nineteen seventies recreation of something that was a hundred years <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Right? It's like this doubling yeah. of yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of there was nostalgia. one moment where I was trying to spare my musicians a little bit, and I was going to ask if we could have like be resting for the first 15 minutes and have Tom Walker come over and berate us for not playing so that we could 
not be playing for the whole first half hour before Baltus gave a speech. And Julian was like, no, the musicians have to be playing the moment the audience walks in. They have to be in progress. It's such an, it's actually, as and someone who sat audience right, members right down. Right. Uh, 100% uh, Yeah. As, yeah. I, <laughs> as I sat people down a couple nights and I would bring them in from Golden Road and open the door from them as they go through the little portal and then open the second door from them. And just the act of <clears> opening <throat> the door and the music is playing and the lights are so different. I can't tell you how many people just go, you know, yeah. just immediately, yeah. and to see and hear that look on their, you know, look on their face and hear that kind of sigh. It's just like, oh, it and got off on the right foot from yeah, right. moment one. And that and that question of of what is the portal is always so so big for us. You know, what is the entryway? How do you signify that you're moving from the conventional world into the world of the performance? Yeah. Who are the gatekeepers, and how do they bring you through? So yeah. music was a big part of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that's definitely you know what something we do look for with spaces. And so far mm-hmm. we've been kind of lucky to to land in spaces where you know I'd say so far all of our shows we've come into spaces that have their own character and and we have created then the experience around that character so where we put the entry point you know the reality is for Johnny you could have come much further into the space before you checked in but we found that the walk into the space it was such an exciting space it felt like a journey in itself to go you know through those big doors and up that staircase with those paintings that it was like no we want to get you through the kind of ticket part the book part and let the experience start with all of that yeah um and so i'd say it's the same thing where you know we we do the tickets for the box office you know out in the industrial kind of yeah the hangar part of the brewery and so that Which after is, you've checked in hopefully again it is this real and here we go yeah and, and I envy anyone who got to see the hollow who didn't see Ebenezer because that that initial befuddlement mm-hmm. of where am I going you know like there's a place in here really and like mm-hmm. this is where I stand and and even like you know I remember the first time like I went straight to the bar and I was like where is this thing happening at because you kind of have like almost like no sense and that that initial annoyance you know it's actually such a great thing to have like by the end of the night because it's like i didn't know where i was going i was really what where was this thing going to be oh there's a podium here there's a check-in all right that's just strange like this looks weird but this must be the spot and then you check in and then yeah that that little vestibule um i still wonder why that thing exists. No, what is the story of Chloe's? Like, well, why is that thing there? So I think they built Chloe's as a special event space. Right. right? And so they were aware but of that. But why like that? And I, like, yeah. why that? Why in those yeah. designs? I, I know that when we, before we did the first Ebenezer, um, it was used, they had been having sort of monthly brewers dinners there, which was a an incredible deal. It was like $40 for a four course meal with beer pairings for every course. It yeah. was insane. I got I'm, us reservations, and that's how we actually ended up finding. We Chloe's. found about it through my sister, I think, because yeah. right? she she works for Whole Foods as a specialty buyer, mm. and so she, some of the people that she knew were connected to Golden Road, and she knew about this kind of like industry special brewers dinner that was held back there, and so we went there for dinner, and and as we were there. I asked the server, you ever do any kind of special events back here? And they said, yeah, you know, all, all kinds of different stuff. He said, have you, have you ever had a live performance? And he said, well, I don't know. You should talk to that woman, though, because she's the person who handles the space. 
And so, fortified by the brewer's dinner, <laughs> wandered up and said, "Hey, How we big were those poor." Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, we you know do this style of work, and is this something you'd be interested in? And and she said, "Yeah, absolutely. Let's follow up." And that was the first Ebenezer. Yeah. But because even just going yeah. in for a dinner, yeah. I thought that that space was just so transformative and being in there we're like this is calling the yeah. space is calling to have something in it, oh, it, God, it yeah. like that's what it felt like it yeah. felt like it was built for us to do work in it like that's, yeah. that's kind of how and, i felt sitting there and that's how you found the legion for johnny right as you walked in and you said well we have to do something mm-hmm. here yeah. and we had already been talking about doing johnny and so it was actually it w- that wasn't going to be our next show but walking to the space it was like this is a space that can hold this show we're talking about mm-hmm let's let's do it so I and, mean, it, and it was yeah. it was it and, and honestly had even had we not been talking about johnny we would have found a show that made sense in the space that's right. something we do try to stay really kind of loyal to this idea of it, we're not going to force a show into a space that doesn't actually aid in the the larger telling of the story like right. the space should be a fundamental part of that experience well, and it, it provides such production value because yeah. like having gone to sp- to the shows where they're dealing with a, a a, a blander non-traditional space and you they either have to bring the production value and like really b- do a build out or you're you're left trying to having to imagine it which is which is fine and it often works and depending on where the focus of the of the performance is it, it might be immaterial whether or not the space feels built out whether naturally or or with production design elements but oh my God, is it is it so much nicer when you're in a space that just feels like oh yeah, this is exactly where this would be happening. Like this moment that I'm having right now would totally be, you know, in a room just like this, right? It's like the, it's like in stories, like you know, on a night like yeah. this, yeah. in a room very much like yeah. this one, and you're like, oh, is it this room? I think it is this room. You know. It's it's a it's a it's a classic trick, and in some ways, that's like the very heart of what the immersive yeah. ethos is—is is that exact narrative ploy. It's like, and it's and it's not to you know. I mean, I think there's really great examples of the build out. I think oh, yeah. the build out can be done really well, Just cost and, money. <laughs> and, 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 and that's about that, that's about resources. And so, you know, it's interesting. I think. You know, there there are certain shows that we want to develop as a company that I actually think depend on a build out, mm-hmm. and and that's just a you know for us that's a question of the, you know when will those actually make sense and but part of the to do a good build out you do need certain resources. Right. Yeah, and and the reality for us I'd say is that we probably have four to six shows on the back burner at any given time, waiting for the right space and the right circumstances to mm-hmm. develop it because we don't want to. You know, we're very anxious to complete the Johnny cycle, and uh, but but we're not going to push that aggressively uh, beyond the spatial limitations that we're able to create. So let me ask you a question. Uh, lo- looking ahead for a second, and to the to the rest of the Johnny cycle, um, let's say you do find those spaces. Uh, and, and keep that relationship with those spaces going. Is there a version of it of the future where you then run the cycle again because you can do a complete? I mean, that turn? would be the ideal yeah. world, right? right? The ideal would be we develop part two, we run it, develop part three, and then you do the cycle right. running where if someone could within a month see one, three. two, three, you know, you maybe have them running at the same time oh, or well. back to back. 
that but that that, that, yeah, that's, that's the dream, the, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. dream you yeah. know um but and, and hopefully you know i mean again like we 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 really do value our spaces and we try to maintain strong working relationships with mm -hmm. them to follow in the dream that something like that might be able to happen right mm -hmm. so like you know the legion was really wonderful to work with um they were you know so generous to let us use the space so fully um but i also think they had a i think they had a good experience of it as well um and i think it was meaningful for them to have members be able to come and see the piece and engage with it yeah. so. particularly the veteran experience was very powerful on that piece and we we received a lot of comments to the extent of you know thank you for still talking about world war one most people have forgotten that that even existed. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was nice. You know, but sometimes we run into the, the harsh physical realities of spaces too, where you know, we won't be able to do Ebenezer at Golden Road again in the foreseeable future just because of the economics of their own booking. So you know, we, we, we don't want to let go of that piece. We just hope that we can someday find another venue that could support that rehome it yeah exactly and, and what's tough is you know we do build our work so specifically mm -hmm. so um well i think there there is a way for us to do ebenezer again it would not be without significant work on our end yeah. to to repurpose the material to to a new space and to essentially restructure yeah well and you, but you think of like you know what punch drunk did you know you know sleep no more started you know as a part of a festival I think at ART right. in and high school in high school yeah. and was you know so if you get like a couple of million dollars you can just build another Chloe's oh, yeah. you know? anybody has a couple million dollars yeah. and you're listening right now yeah I'm trying to think if there's anybody who would have no <laughs> maybe one person might have like half a million yeah. that, that we'll we take can it. start we'll there take we need, we need yeah. five half a millionaires yeah. and, uh, and then, then we're on our way um Let's talk about food um, <laughs> and and working with working with food. Yeah, this is someone's someone's shaking her head. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually our second show with a full dinner. Oh, we we did ha we did do a show in this space in this house in yeah. this house that had a full dinner, but it was a very different um, interaction with dinner. Um, the show that we did here earlier on dinner was kind of self-contained the show was in four parts and one part, part was, was the dinner, dinner. Mm -hmm. there was performance interwoven in the dinner so different characters were seated at tables with different audience members and then there was a moment where we collectively kind of shared in yeah. in a moment within the dinner and, and we actually, also had more control right. over the dinner and, personally because i love to cook and um, I was grilling. Matthew was grilling, <laughs> so we we actually did the dinner ourselves as a group. Um, and obviously, this time it was a very different experience with uh, the the format of dinner, and also we had to relinquish a lot of control when it came to kind of timing as because well. Because obviously with the way we were selling the show, the dinner coming out and being good and served in a prime condition was really important right you know it was, you couldn't hold the food yeah you, were, you weren't you weren't going to hold like, an entree for two or three minutes to 
have it land at the right moment. And, and, and so as a result, you know, the shows were slightly different every night, depending on when it, we, we could fire the food at the same time, but it might arrive at a slightly different moment. And, you know, you don't want the pork to be under, so you're going to hold for a minute so that that's ready, ready to go, you know, is, is vice Look, versa. little so. trichinosis. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares about such things? Look, just yeah. like get the cues on time and let the vomiting happen. And, and, that's, <laughs> no knock, and that's no knock on gold. Either no. because cooking no. for forty people is a challenging, oh, no. you know, oh, endeavor for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and and in a five-minute window, they were really quite good. Oh at yeah, that. yeah. yeah. And, and and the and the food was, I mean, just from from like food critics standpoint, like that was elevated beyond what I'm used to from Golden Road. And like I like Golden Road's food, you know, like maybe maybe I like Mohawk Men's better, but like I like <laughs> it with same same owners, yeah. right? So like. But but it, it was it was even it was that step beyond and I was like oh wow this is what they're capable of doing here holy crap um, but that that did you learn a lot this time about that relationship I mean I think we did I I know that as a company we are interested in the kind of relationship between food beverage and the entire evening you know the reality is a lot of people who came to see Johnny went out to dinner before they went to see Johnny, if they were going to an evening show. Um, you know, when we do Ebenezer, we essentially had a full house eating dinner before the show started. And and I think, you know, we're interested in how, how do you craft an entire evening for someone where, where it isn't that they have your experience and then this alternate experience. How do those live together? How can they feed into each other? Um, you know, how can food be part of the storytelling, even if just loosely, you know, um, you know, in the case here, you're eating this kind of autumn themed meal. Siri unavailable. Connect to the internet. Uh, thanks, Siri. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to help out, but she couldn't. Apparently, apparently, she obeys your commands. <laughs> I do not know why. Now I'm a little scared. Um, uh, but on the other side, you know, the basic premise that you are here at this party. The dinner is part of the party. The the party's part of the story. Um, you know that's that's something we're interested in exploring, and this was definitely a, exploring it in a a different fashion, yeah, yeah. more complicated way, and and it was and the food was much more woven into the entire experience. Yeah. Just to jump on what you were saying, I think in some ways we're kind of approaching it in terms of an all-inclusive resort approach to Don't entertainment. Don't say that. That's no. horrible. <laughs> no. But 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 it but, but where it's, not at the same no, time. it's not. I mean, I don't mean it in the dark dark sadistic like it's, culture it's, it's robbing LA, you only want to park once yeah yeah, yeah. Right? I, I like, I like it's it. la you want to go to a place and park once and be there for the night but also also i mean from from the experiential standpoint there is some of this idea of like one like you park once you're done you, you don't have to go anywhere else for the, the rest of the night but there's there's wisdom in what um the the uh, uh, what the heck is the name of the company that owns Sleep No More? It's not Punch Drunk. It's Immersive. There's wisdom in what Immersive has done with the McKittrick space, mm-hmm. which is there's the rooftop bar, yeah. there's mm-hmm. the main bar, there's <clears throat> the bar before the show. There's there's also uh, the the restaurant inside, mm-hmm. the Gallows Green. It's like you can go to this place. Uh, it makes them a boatload of money, but on top of it, you don't have to worry about fitting everything else in for the right. Yeah. So you just there's one place you go. There's also like only like one other thing around 
that part, even well, in Manhattan. But part of that all, but it also, your your whole evening is themed then, right? Yeah. So you're in the, mm-hmm. it gets, it helps you lay the groundwork to get you in the, the zone and the vibe before the, if you go before, right. right? If you get there early and you're hanging in the bar before the show, that bar is setting you up for the world you're going to go into. If you hang afterwards, you had such a great experience, you don't quite want to leave, you get to linger in the feeling of the show. Um, and that's that's exciting, right? Because there's nothing worse than sometimes like you get done with a show and then you're like shoved down the street and you're there with your friends and you're on your phones trying to like, you know, figure out, I guess there's this place like, you know, over like 10 blocks that way. I'm thinking New York days yeah. where you would like walk now. <laughs> How you In LA, yeah. we all just wind up going home. Like, yeah. No, that's so hopefully that's really, creating that then space that that extended space of the shared experience. Yeah, right? and that's all I meant. It, it's it's you know why you want to stay in the Disney hotel rather than go down to the Motel Six, even though the Motel Six is cheaper. You know, <laughs> you want to create the you want to create the the total experience. You want to have have it feel like it's part of the story yeah. from the beginning all the way until the end. Well, and, and if you're really into the sort of stuff, you want to sort of surrender to the night. Yeah. You know, like you you want. It's interesting because I do feel like the the big fans of this stuff, the core audience, are people who want to trust the designers, the storytellers, and say, "Show me an amazing time! Like, show me something I haven't seen before. Take me on a full experience, and like, let me let me ride along." Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have people who are core fans who, you know, they want to like poke holes in everything and like they want to push the boundaries because you know there's that. There's that griefer troll instinct that 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 is involved in this, but I think that maybe like setting up everything else, you know, like if someone's at a dinner part of something and then they start going like, oh, what's, well, what part of the story is going on in the kitchen? I'm going to get back there. They're going to find out really quickly. The chef's not going to be in the kitchen, but also it starts to like habituate them into being like, no, this is just real. This is just your life is happening right now. Like, feel free to just behave like you normally would. And don't, weirdly enough, don't get yourself into a heightened state of awareness. Let us take care of that for you. We'll take you there. Um, golly. Uh, let's, um, let's talk about price for a second here. Um, not not because well just because something something popped up I didn't even know about this but like apparently there's something that happened on on maybe one of you guys was telling me about it actually or maybe someone else was telling me about it that there was like a, a pushback from a, a random corner on Facebook um, which which seemed to me from my point of view kind of absurd because we're talking about dinner and a show and knowing what stuff goes for just a show in New York, I was just laughing out loud at, at the idea. But what's what's the, the, the I think it's the blunt question. You guys don't have to answer this. You don't want to. Uh, I rarely go full journalist on this. I feel so weird. Uh, <laughs> usually it's no one's all like, happy, go look, this all mm-hmm. up. But like, but, uh, you know, I mean, right now, so... So all dirty laundry myself, you know, like, I'm not hitting hopscotch right. this time out. Because I'm tapped out at the present, yeah. and I don't feel justified in asking for a journalistic comp because it just so happened that the entire preview cycle, I was scheduled to the nines. Like, they, they popped that thing up too late for me to jump in when I would jump in, and I'm not going to jump in on the last weekend and say, like, oh, hey, can you guys give me a comp so I can go see the show? You know, we'll cover it. I know someone who's going, and I'm going to have them do the interview, uh, if at all humanly possible. 
Um, but that and because it's like you know it's one hundred and fifty dollars, but it's also or one hundred twenty five dollars. But three tracks, right? So it's like the full experience for that show would be like something like what three hundred. 54, I'm bad at math. Uh, we all know. Yeah, and, and, and I do believe they are selling a ticket that is the full tracked ticket that allows you. So that's separate from that you could buy what is seeing all, all three. three oh, all three. Discount. Yeah, there's there's the discount. Right? And there's also the hub. And, and there's the hub that's free, although like you're just watching stuff happen on right. video monitors. And there's the lottery, which if you show up the week ahead, you can get in the lottery for the next right. week, which is very kind of them. Uh, but also, you know, you, you just... You, it starts to get like really structured, right. and they're having no problems selling right. it out, like yeah. none. What they extended, yeah. no problems, and also they've got X number of limousines, mm -hmm. and like they've taken over the Bradbury. I mean, it's huge number of performers, huge number of performers, and 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 so like it's this. There's this delta between what is required <clears throat> to make it happen, and I would bet, I'd bet five dollars. And you've all can can come and claim the five dollars. <laughs> Not that he listens to the show; he's too busy. Uh, that there there may be a best breaking even. That I, yeah. I, I don't think they are. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. but but so I mean, just to speak a little bit to like the valuation of our ticket yeah. price. So so the ticket prices for the Hollow were sixty five dollars, and and we understand that that number when you look at it might be daunting. To some people, but what really makes up that sixty-five dollar ticket price is thirty-five dollars of that was for the dinner and a drink pairing, and and one thing that I said to <laughs> some some people who raised eyebrows about that was I challenge you to go to Applebee's and get <laughs> and get a three-course meal and a drink for under thirty-five dollars. Yeah. Really, and and I think that you know to speak to your point earlier, the <clears throat> the level of the food that you receive there. Was higher than yeah. uh, you know. Uh, I mean, I've easily at Mohawk Bend, I've easily dropped about th at least thirty, thirty-five dollars uh, uh, on like you know entree and like a beer. Yeah, and and like and that's the thing. It's like if you have like appetizer, entree, dessert. Yeah. If I'm doing three courses, I mean, I'm not, I'm never a three course <coughs> person. So right. that that and a drink, like yeah, like yeah. that's thirty-five dollars. So 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 for that, I mean, you know, and even to to compare that to what it might cost to go to see dinner in a movie. Um, not a bad, not a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, thirty five dollars for a three course meal and a drink seems like a more than fair fair valuation. That's a deal. Yeah. Um, and so then that leaves a thirty dollar ticket price, right? So that's thirty five or thirty dollars for an experience that that moves beyond a traditional proscenium audience uh, experience where you're just sitting and watching something. We're dealing with even though it's a smaller cast for us, what is still a large cast. And we're dealing with a situation where we have a limited run in a space because we're nomads. We're begging for our time, right? Yeah. So, so we uh, and even with those ticket prices, as I believe is the case for the industry, we're, we weren't able to fully make up the costs of the production. So, no one's. I, I think sometimes people look at the ticket price and they assume that there's someone who's getting rich off of the deal, right. and that's very much not the case. There does seem to be this thing. And I don't think it happens in New York, but people, there's some factors in LA that look at theater ticket prices, oh, someone's getting rich off this theater thing. Like, I don't know why they would ever well, imagine that. And, and it's tough, right? Because obviously, you know, part of, so part of it is for us right now, the majority of, of our 
our ability to make work and funds to make work comes from ticket sales. And, and that's not because that's our preference. It's just how it's working for us right now. And, you know, part of that is, you know, we get asked a lot, well, you know, why don't you apply for grants and for outside funding? And, and it's not that we're opposed to all of that, but that, that takes a lot of time and effort and is a full-time job as well. And, um, you know, the reality is as a company, as core members, there are, there are four of us wearing a lot of different hats, both as artists and as, um, in some ways, the staff members of what is this company. And so, you know, essentially to do that sort of work, that can be a full-time job. Like we could use a full-time development person who yeah. is essentially seeking, you know, uh, resources for us to make work. And so we've kind of prioritized at this point as a company to, to generate work. We think uh, showing that we can do what, we, what, we're, what we're seeking out to explore as a company creatively uh, will help with that in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Um, to, to have a track record of doing what we say we do. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's the, the, the reality is the four of us, you know, we all have, we all have to work a fair number of hours a week as well um, to just support ourselves and our lives. You know, we as a company are making no money <laughs> off of the speakeasy. And I think, you know, that's not, a bad thing to be to be transparent about, you right. know. Um, and, and just to jump on that, we've also made the conscious decision not to do crowdfunding campaigns for our shows. So with we, with we, the exception, we did right. we did do one for our we, very we first had show. initial fundraising for the very first show that we did. But we kind of our goal with that was like we're going to do this one, and mm -hmm. from this we are going to move forward. And in some ways, the goal was that this investment will will move us forward as a company onward and that's, we didn't want and to that's rely worked. on that that's worked to a certain extent thus far and you know i think that's that's important also to claim as an active choice because you know some people might say why aren't you asking soliciting right. further peer donations and it just feels odd i think for us to ask people to pay twice to see something in, in certain ways yeah. we'll have a long crowdfunding discussion off air at some yeah because <laughs> Um, maybe even some of it tonight. Uh, but um, just one more thing, too, yeah. just to jump on this train, is that I, I, a huge part of the budget does go to paying all the artists involved. Yeah. Not nearly as much as yeah. they deserve in any sense of the word, but it's just at least some sort of an honorarium just because they gave us their time and their talent and their Which work. Which then is, you know, we run up against, <clears throat> we have large creative teams to create the kind of work we're trying to do and the intimacy. So... You know, for 40 audience members, we had 14 performers. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, that's not even counting if we count Jesse, our oh, puppeteer. Jesse. Yeah. So technically we had 15 performers. And that puppet moment was amazing. And so that, yeah, you had 15. So we had 15 performers. That does not On include, a $30 ticket, that's $2 per person. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, that does not include our designers. Yeah. does not include Gosh, the right. funds for our designers to actually Make. put the design in to implement, and it doesn't include our box office or either of us running the show. Yeah. So that that's cutting out all directors, writers, any of that stuff. Yeah. And it's just, so yeah, $2, $2 an active performer. It, you know, anyway, it goes quick. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is the thing. I mean, we have, one thing that I think is really unique about our company is we do we do immersive theater but we do all different styles of immersive theater which allows us to kind of have all different 
ticket price points, right? Like the stronger is twelve dollars. Yeah, it's a one two actors to one audience member, and it's not a whole full night of theater. But I think it's a pretty unique and interesting experience that you can have for less than the cost of going to a movie. I think I might literally be on record saying it's the best bang for your buck you can get, you know, in entertainment in the town. Yeah. yeah. So, so we try to pay attention to those those questions of access, and, and we're aware that just to survive as a company, sometimes we need to create pieces that may be outside of the area of access for some of our artistic peers. And I I mean, I think the other thing is like, we are kind of new-ish company. We've been around for what, three? Two and a half years. Two and a half years officially, right? And of course, one day we hope that we have huge budgets and we, in part of our budget, can be giving away tickets for free. Or do a lottery system like Hopscotch. I mean, we would would love to do that. Or do like, you know what? Hamilton does or like the ten dollar yeah. tickets for yeah. students, right? Yeah. Right now, yeah, we're fighting to make the work that we make and to be able to afford it. And yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if it's that you guys are so consistent and you guys have been been working so much the past couple of years that people might think you're you're I mean, the person. I, I never saw the initial thing. I just knew that there was a, a, a kerfuffle. Uh, and so I can't tell if the person knew at all what they were talking, like had any sense of who they were talking about, let alone, um, let alone, you know, have an intimate knowledge of the way the reality is on the ground. But um, that was going somewhere. It just stopped. Like, <laughs> it just, yeah, just this, this sense that, that there's, yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, you, you wish that everything could be for free, and that money was no obstacle. Uh, I'd also like a gold toilet, but um, but you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't sadly happen. Yeah, I mean, I think we were able to address some of the concerns that were raised. I, it just in, in the end, it was really challenging for all of us because it's disheartening when you're working so hard for nothing to yeah. try to make things because you just think that you're you're enriching a performative landscape and providing people with experiences that they might not otherwise have, and and working really hard to do it, and then. Uh, you are being told that it's not enough or it's not paying attention to certain issues. And and we try to be conscious of issues of access and issues of representation within the company um, in terms of casting, in terms of, you know, scale of the, of the price point for the experiences that we create, in terms of whose stories are being told. Um, those are all things that are tremendously important. Um, and we can't pay attention to all of them simultaneously on every show. Uh, and and at a certain point, yeah, and, yeah. And at a certain point we, we gotta we gotta survive to make the next show. Or else no stories will be told. And that's hard. That's well, hard. and and yeah. I think it's it, it is you know sometimes out of our hands. For example, some might say, well, why don't why did you need the dinner as part of the hollow? And it's like, well, because actually we had to meet a certain price point to use. Chloe's. That wasn't wasn't, a free space and there was a cap on how, so the choice was we could have done it Ebenezer style with an open, you know, bar, restaurant that people order from. People would have still had to spend as much money as they did. You know, the only difference is we wouldn't have had a guarantee, so we would have had to sell it to a larger house, which would have ultimately compromised the experience. So in a certain way, it's like that money would have 
kind of wound up being spent or needed to be spent regardless for us to yeah. have this relationship at, with at the, the cost of the integrity yeah. of the work as, as yeah. yeah but our decision then was not to just make dinner mandatory but to actually make dinner part of the story yeah, so yeah. That, <clears throat> stuff was happening while you were eating dinner and yeah. the characters were aware you were eating dinner. Yeah. It wasn't it this was thing, thing just tacked on at the top of the yeah. show. Yeah. or mm-hmm. It's like if you're going to have to do it, really embrace it. Yeah, yeah really yeah. do it. And it's, it. it's also something that, you know, we've been working with since we started and has always been important to us, the idea of, again, we, we already talked about this, like this, this complete full evening and food and drink has always been on our radar. I think even in the mission statement it says something about yeah. creating creating work that can be uh, viewed with a drink in your hand. (laughs) Let me go to a different place to take a different mask off, which is how many hours were you guys putting in during that during that run up? Like like what were from the start of writing to I would say, you know, it is not an understatement to say when we are hitting production periods that it's it's a full-time job on top of the fact that we all work full-time jobs. So kind of with the, you know, disheartening aspect of it is it's tough when someone says you're working 80 hours a week and and that's not and good. Are we counting stress dreams? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, that happen? <laughs> you know, the reality is, you know, we had so much to do on this piece because, again, it was being created from nothing that whether we were rehearsing or all together or writing essentially and when you guys are when you guys are writing and you're developing that part i mean like are are you coming together to do that or are, are, are how much are you reinforcing each other and how much are you are you, you um, shooting it varies out? it varies i mean i would say in general though we you know we we split up the work and but in the end though everyone is looking at it and everyone is providing feedback we mm-hmm. we, yeah, create, we, we create we create we create the space that essentially in some ways the group is is touching it now obviously sometimes as we move further in the process we we got to just keep moving <laughs> but um but in the we are building that extra and it does take extra time it definitely yeah. makes the process it logs more man hours that way but i think it's important to us as a company but we we were as we began the process the hollow we were rehearsing four to five days a week and then we were meeting for at least one additional day a week. I, w- I would say so. Plus, then to work separately. Working separately. So, so and yet somehow I still pulled you two off to go get barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that one day, we we marked it out and said we have to go do that. But so I'm sorry, the show was just that much. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. my fault. It was better because we had the mental rest and reinforcement. Awesome. Have it was good day. barbecue. Yeah. So, well, and, and I think that's the important part, though. It's like for all the creative work we do, though we are also. So then making programs yeah. and, um, you know, posting on brown paper ticket and managing that account and, yeah. you know, um, following up with, um, we do have someone who's been very, very kind to help us with some sending out some of our press stuff, but there is just following up on that, you know, trying to create a banner for Facebook, the, these kind of little production based tasks that also are feeding into the collective hours put into, put into a show. Yeah. It, you know the creative stuff's the on some levels the fun stuff, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. stuff that we 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 maybe don't always cut our time off on that. We maybe sometimes, but there's a lot of work that goes into the show that's that's super important to it running well. One more thing, we'll do this lightning round style, but you can you can take your time with the answer. But I want I want everyone to tap in on this one. Um, stay on the creative side. 
what did you learn this time out um, that you want to push forward going going ahead? Okay, well, I'm, I, mine is pretty easy um, because I'm doing the choreography for the pieces and uh, this was one that I kind of made it a goal for myself to have, because Ebenezer had dance, a lot of our shows have had kind of like brief moments of, of dance, but it had been a while since we kind of featured dance in such a strong way. And so for me, just this process was a nice kind of reinvestment in the power of dance and the place that it has in the way that we tell story. Mm. And um, I think it it's something that we sometimes forget about. And I think it's uh, such a strong, could be such a strong aspect of our company. Mm. And um, so for me, it's just kind of going back uh, to those, those roots and, incorporating it more in our work and some of our some of our future shows are much more have much more movement aspects to them so i'm excited to kind of use some of the the work that we did that's that's interesting because like you know so much of so much of what sort of defines immersive in new york is is that it's a very Mm dance-based theater and like it has it draws so much from site-specific dance as a as a practice um or dance theater as a practice yeah um and we find you guys kind of moving back in that direction yeah but i think that i think that a core part of our style though is the use of text and that i don't think will ever disappear yeah and i think i don't think we're ever going to turn into like an immersive dance company but finding that place where the two are really working together. Yeah. Because I think that's one thing that we do well is the way that we tell stories through spoken word and the interactions, like the, especially the one-on-one interactions between character and audience members. Com- coming into Ebenezer last year, you know, I still hadn't seen a piece yet that was as text-heavy. And it showed me that it could be done, and that made me very happy, um, because in my own fever dreams of ever doing something, which you know occasionally I'm open about, um, it, text is a part of it. Mm-hmm. And and first you guys, and then going to see uh, the day shall declare it, and how Annie was using text in that piece, mm-hmm. um, just really drove home that oh yeah, you don't have to just be like okay, there's a, there's a few words once in a while, or it's a character telling you a story directly or dictating to you or something. You know, it doesn't have to just be the one-on-one version of the text for it to for it to work. You can, yeah. you can you can still have a scene taking place in front of you, and have to have something that's happening that's cinematic, and yet at the same time you are a, a presence, like you're endowed with the character. That was that's the other thing that's interesting in both of in both Ebenezer and The Hollow is that the audience members are endowed with the character so much so that I think you guys should encourage people to cosplay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we will. Yeah. We will. We're, we're getting there. One yeah. day. Yeah. Period yeah. Right. <laughs> who's who's next on the? Okay. I'll, right. I'll I'll jump in. So so um, I was thinking as you mentioned earlier about kind of the close up magic, right? Mm-hmm. And and the power of objects and imagination. And every time that I see um, puppetry 
used effectively, I fall back in love with it. Mm-hmm. And and that there's something that's just so touching about seeing a little wooden hand reach out to caress a human face and uh, all the while hearing that human actor express the emotions that that wooden hand contains uh, and th- and, that, and for those who don't know yeah. he's, th- there was a moment uh, the, the culmination of the Rip Van Winkle track involved Rip as a puppet and, and, and Rip Jr. As a, as a child which unfortunately is a spoiler for anyone who comes to see it <laughs> yeah. Dream Out well, sorry <laughs> right. maybe uh, we'll get a different track anyway. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and to further the spoiler the, the connection between father and son and son saying no dad it's okay you go back to sleep I'll get you when it's time yeah and and just how somehow the the fact that that's expressed through an object makes it actually far more emotional than you could achieve through two yeah. human actors. Yeah, you hit this childlike center, you know, yeah. like there's something like you're you're pulled into an imaginal space. Yeah, um, it feels like what it must have been like on set to like watch Mark Hamill with Yoda. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, there's this magic going on. And it, and in the way what your brain fills in and what your heart fills in is actually deeper than what it could be if we just showed it to you. Mm-hmm. So leaving a little bit of that space mm-hmm. for the imagination to fill, yeah. I think is something that's that's a lesson of this piece that in this case was accomplished through puppetry, yeah. but but just something that I'd like to continue forward is is, is what is what is the room for the audience experience and how do they fill in the gap? I, I, I love that. When I used to be you know, covering the transmedia scene and you know, we talk about, you know, these these stories that are being told on multiple platforms and like, you know, creating space in them or like analyzing why a, a certain franchise might be so popular. And I would always come back to the idea of the lacuna, like the memory hole, that there's this space in there. Uh, for Tolkien, it's like the, the distant mountains. Somewhere off there in the distance, something's going on. But like in, in something like, you know, Firefly, it's like, oh, there's these things, we just don't know how that works. And that's one of the reasons why I think there are some people who are so into that franchise. It's like the, the unfinished business is like, well, I don't, I don't know how this world works, so I'm going to start imagining how this world works. And that's where we get these like boatloads of fan fiction, or we get like a J.K. Rowling, you know, like keep on building out our universe because there's this room for people to pour their, their own imaginations into. So you, you, I, I guess I'm just trying to say I think you're onto something there. Um, all right, I guess we're going around in a circle, so follow you, Chris. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I might have to cheat a little bit because there were like so many little things in No cheating! No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, the, I'm uh, going to go and apologize. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, um, I, not, not hard. It's not, it's not <laughs> difficult. Um, <laughs> the, one of the things, I mentioned this to you one of the nights we were waiting for the, the bands to finish, was that... Um, the, my background is actually music composition. It's not in, in writing. And I've been very fortunate to fall into a group of people who actually enjoy my writing. And I, when I write for immersive theater, it's like this three-dimensional writing where you're like writing 11 character arcs at the same time. They're all bouncing off each other, but you have to account for the audience and what is the audience learning when. And uh, So in this one, there were just like a million little challenges to, to face where it was like <clears throat> uh, Tom... When Tom is possessed, how can it still be a personal scene between he and Baltus? Like, if, if, that's a, if that's happening, how does that happen? Or if you have the puppet scenes with either Elena or with Rip, how, how are you having a personal moment when there's only one person talking? And, like, how are you carrying that through in the scene? Mm-hmm. And then the music composer part of my brain, when that finally kicked in, once we got enough of the script done, I couldn't start working on the music, was, like, 
how can the music be completely seamless with the storytelling? Mm. And someday I'll figure it all out. But it's it's one of those things where it's like I learned so much doing this. It's like I have no idea how I'm going to use it in the next show. But like now it's tools in my belt, and I get to and and I I, I want to. I mean maybe I hope you guys appreciate. And I, and I want to get this across to everybody. I want them to appreciate the time constraints. Like, uh, you know, and I heard people say, like I mentioned like the, the, the speed to someone this, this weekend. And they're like, well, you know, it's pretty typical for, you know, to put up a show up in, in L.A. in four weeks. And I'm like, but a, an immersive is not a show. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's really when dropping. it is actually immersive, it's, it's not a show. It's, it's a beast. And to write a show, and design it, and you know, knock it up, and have it be an immersive. Like, if any, if this was a static show, I'd be like, "Wow, that's really impressive!" Like, that was like two months, and you guys got that up, and like from 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 blank page to show, that's a feat. From blank page to show to break out and like get everyone out of their seats and moving around and all that component of it. Or may, or maybe I'm maybe I'm naive. Maybe it maybe it's easier than, than I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you okay you've been avoiding um, it you said this all yeah. the well Genevieve looked, looked like she knew where she wanted to go and I think for me coming out of this piece it's just a reminder of um of how like hungry the audience is for engagement and that that's mm-hmm. what we that's what I feel like we are trying to offer is is it is a chance to get out of your seat it is a chance to have not just uh you you perceive you have a, a a relationship with the character, but you are actually having a relationship with the character. And I think um, I know I'm hungry for it as an audience member, and I see that our audiences are hungry for it. And and to you know, for me, it's about you know sometimes um, you know that that's this that's kind of the scary stuff to make right because the audience is the unknown and you can think you know how they will respond or react but there is an element that is beyond our control and that's what's exciting about it and it's, it's what's exciting is the audience right there's there's infinite possibility um, and it's kind of in this in your hands strangely but I think um, you know the more, you know that that that's what's exciting about what we do, and and I think the more we can push on exploring that and exploring it in new ways, and um, and and making our audience feel like they are they are having a unique experience. It's not just a show; it's it's something bigger, and um, hopefully, it's feeding into other things um, that we need as human beings, right? And so I think. You know, and, 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 and everyone's really good. Sometimes I get a little timid on it. You know, you feel like uh, we got to get through the story. What, what are, you know, we got to build the show. But that, that at the core part, a core exciting part of the show is, is the immersiveness, is the yeah. interactions, is the personal experience. And, and while you do need to create a collective experience, particularly in something like The Hollow, it is a collective experience, but... How do you how do you still maintain the importance of the personal within the collective and and it's it's exciting it, 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 it you know I think I do think people are hungry for it and and hopefully we can keep keep diving deeper and see where it goes and I feel like this this 
desire for people to be immersed that and and the the idea of the lacuna like the idea of like you know people putting in their own feelings i feel like that's this yin yang dynamic you know it's not exactly two sides of the same coin but like it's an engine that turns over and in, in feeds like you know like there's a room for them to like endow it with something they they know they have a, a bit of a, a bit of agency some sort of role in the story to play even if it's just as an observer but it, as an as an active observer as someone who's acknowledged as being there like the characters need them to be there to understand it's like when your friend desperately needs you to listen to just how shitty their day was right like that's the, and, and you yourself wind up getting annoyed by it or maybe you find your meaning in being that person at that moment um, cool well, that's enough for this time. Um, I think I think we've 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 gone all over the place, which is good. Um, I hope this was informative to everyone, and I want to thank you guys for coming on the show again. And I don't know if it's okay, but I oh, do sure. just want to give a special like shout out oh, to please. all of our collaborators. You know, name the, the reality is, is <laughs> the reality is that it's a, it's a long list, and if any of you are listening, you know who you are. But our shows could not exist without. Um, without the immensely talented pool of people we work with, um, performers, designers, musicians, um, you know, really the work is what it is in many ways because of them. And, uh, you know, as Chris mentioned, you know, we, we try to, we give them all just, a a fraction of what they deserve monetarily. So they are very much doing it out of love and love for the form and for creating and um, we just are in deep appreciation and debt to them. And so I, I just, you know, well, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to all of us. We, we do want to acknowledge all the hard work they, they put into the shows and, and all the talent they bring to our work. Absolutely. Because uh, we are very blessed because we get to work with incredibly, incredibly talented people. It's easy to put in all the hours you were mentioning when it's for people like that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. True story. Fantastic. All right. Once again, I want to thank Genevieve Gearhart, Julianne Just, Matthew Bamberg-Johnson, and Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society for being our guests on the show today. That was the big show, everybody. Uh, that was The Hollow. I hope they do it again. I'm really looking forward to the next thing that the, the Speakeasy Society does. You know that I'm a big fan of what they do. Uh, people can say I'm even biased. Uh, you can say that. Uh, that doesn't stop me from uh, telling them um, exactly what I think is working and isn't working in their shows, because uh, that's the thing you do when you want to see people get better and better and better. I hope that there's somebody listening who uh, who knows the money people, because if there's a group that could really use like a cash injection to to make this just burst, uh, it's the Speakeasy Society. They they are. LA's, you know, right now their best hope for for building out a triple A AAA, uh, production uh, and getting something going on. I want to see one of their shows have a much longer run than what they're able to do right now, and that's going to take some patron capital. Maybe we can figure that out together, but hopefully we can find like the four or five crazy rich people who we love uh, who will just say like, "Yeah, we got to make this happen." So if you know them, um, take them to their next show. That's it. This has been a long one. 
Um, there's nothing else to say at the moment. So I'm going to shut up. Uh, find me at hinge, find me at erotica. Um, wow. That sounds, uh, dirty. Uh, maybe it will be, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, until you do that, well, when you do that, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>